Hi, I'm Mark DeMoz, one of the teaching pastors at the Mosaic Church of Central Arkansas, located in the University District of Little Rock's Urban Center, 72204. Welcome to our podcast. Founded in the summer of 2001, Mosaic is a multi-ethnic and economically diverse church where significant percentages of black and white Americans, together with men and women from more than 25 nations, walk, work, and worship God together as one. Learn more at mosaicchurch.net. The following message was recorded live at Mosaic as part of the He Gets Us series in the winter of 2023. Thanks for listening. Let's give praise to Jesus in this moment because he is name above all names. Amen. Wow. Happy 21st birthday, Mosaic. How does it feel to be 21 years old? Um, you're a church, so that y'all can't drink, but you can do other things to celebrate. Well, hey, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Alex. Uh, I'm a part of this congregation. My wife and I are here visiting from Indianapolis, where we live now. She's here with our three children. Um, we spent six beautiful, wonderful years at Mosaic Church. You are... You are a beautiful church in a beautiful community led by some of the best people on this earth. And let me tell you something, the lessons that we learn here will go with us wherever we go. And it's because of you and your ministry. And I want to take a moment to celebrate also the way that Jesus has taken a hold of your leaders, Pastor Mark and Harry, um, and their families have been pivotal for everything that's been going on here. And Pastor Lawrence and their families, the, the sacrifices that your leaders have made, the years and years of working hard to lead this community, uh, the time and the tears that they have invested in what God is doing here just because he said, and they are being obedient. Help me thank them with a round of applause for the amazing <laughs> ministry. And my task today is to talk about reverence, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to begin in verse 5. While you go there, I want to let you know just uh, how grateful uh, we are to be here, and especially uh, under the circumstances, we're praying for you, and we're praying for this city, and we know that you're going to continue to be resilient and to do great things for the glory of Jesus' name Let's go to Matthew chapter 21, verse 5. Tell the people of Jerusalem, look, everybody say, look. Your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The title of this message is, Recalculate Your Reverence. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, be with this community. Thank you for 21 wonderful years. I pray that you will continue to take hold of them. Thank you for all the wonderful things that are happening here. May this community and this church continue to bear blessings. They are pioneers in your kingdom, and please give them the strength and the provision to continue to do so and to continue to bring people from every tribe and nation and tongue to this place for the glory of your name, Jesus, Son of God. Amen. The drive from Indianapolis to Little Rock is a very short drive that door-to-door takes about eight hours, but with a family of five, takes about 15. 
It took us a long time to get here. And of course, there were many stops along the way. But one of those stops just south of St. Louis, uh, we were not looking at our GPS and we went down the wrong way towards the storm. And so we decided that we needed to switch our path and recalculate. And so we punched in different directions and instructions on our phone and it would, it started to recalculate our route to this city right at that moment because we needed a brand new path. Now, whoever was navigating did not do a good job at looking at the map on the phone, but the phone recalculated and it gave us a brand new path. When it comes to our reverence, As in many aspects of our lives, we have to make sure that we are calculating what we are headed towards or where we're pointing that to. And we all have habits of reverence in our lives. Now for you, the word reverence may, you may think of something that is strange or something that is far from you. Maybe you think of people who are royal and we don't have that in America. And just to give you a little bit of context, I want to show you just a short clip of what that, what reverence is like for some people today. Let's watch this. Ooh, although we were given a sneak peek of what's to come next from the Netflix docuseries, people are still talking about a moment from part one. Yeah, in episode two, Meghan and Harry recounted the moment that she met Queen Elizabeth and had to curtsy for the first time. But Meghan's reenactment of her curtsy is drawing a lot of criticism online, with many royal commentators calling it disrespectful. Take a look. There wasn't like some big moment of like, and now you're gonna meet my grandmother. I didn't know I was going to meet her until moments before. We were in the car, and we were going to Royal Lodge for lunch. And he's like, oh, my grandmother's here. She's going to be there after church. And I remember in the car and driving up, and he said, you know how to curtsy, right? And I just thought it was a joke. But how do you explain that to people? How do you explain that you bow to your grandmother and that, and that you will need to curtsy? Especially to an American. Like, that's weird. Now I'm starting to realize this is a big deal. I mean, Americans will understand this. We have medieval times, dinner and tournament. It was like that. Like, I curtsied as though I was like... <laughs> Pleasure to meet you, Your Majesty. Like, was that okay? This is the Harry and Meghan documentary. This is Prince Harry. He is a British royal. Um, you don't have to raise your hand whether you watch it or not. Men, if you watch this, you get your man punch, your man card punched if you did watch this. I only watched a little bit of it, which was about that portion. And I remember thinking, we are Americans. We bow to no one. Why should an American girl go to Great Britain and bow before just another? It just doesn't happen, but it caused a lot of controversy. And there were people in Europe who were upset at Meghan Markle because she He did not know how to curtsy and how to bow and have reverence toward the queen. You may be thinking, that's what reverence is like. It's far away from me, but y'all, you have reverence too. Maybe you're not bowing your head in front of somebody, but you are working your life around something that you value or that you treasure. I used to have a friend who loved to buy superhero dolls. I mean, this man had his house covered in Supermans and Batmans and Aquamans, and he had every room covered in cartoon characters, and, which is fine for an eight-year-old, but when you're in your 40s and you're single, 
there is a problem. And then one day he asked me, why do you think that I'm still single? And I said, well, dude, because you got to get rid of all those dolls and get some game, son. <laughs> His whole life revolved around it. This is why I said I used to have a friend. He didn't like that answer. But you may be wondering, well, I don't have any habits like that, Alex. I don't, I don't have my walls covered. I don't collect anything. But you, you do. You have reverence. And I know this because we are in a very divided time as a nation. And we're divided because there are two men who are dividing all of us. They're dividing cities. They're dividing states. They're dividing families. They're even dividing this church. One of these men likes to say things without thinking. He has a big mouth and he loves to tout all his accomplishments. And this other man on the other side is older. He shouldn't really be uh, doing much of what he's doing, but he's still doing it because both of them want to make their mark in history. And you know who I'm talking about. I do not have to mention their names and I barely ever even mention them when I'm at a church. But I figured just to show how you have reverence, you design your life around them. And, and I don't have to mention who they are, but I will show you a picture, and here they are. <laughs> Did you think I was talking about somebody else? We have reverence when we design our lives around something that we value. And that's what we're talking about today, Mosaic. You have been in the midst of this series called He Gets Us, where you studied the relevance of Jesus and how much he understands who we are. And then you are crossing over to the second bridge where we are diving into the type of reverence that we need to have. And that is what the text that we're in today shows us on this Palm Sunday. In Matthew chapter 21, I read you verse 5, but now I'm going to read you verse 4 because it says, This took place to fulfill the prophecy. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. That, that phrase, to fulfill the prophecy, is part of the reason why we ought to have reverence towards Jesus. Because out of anyone in history, he is the only one who has had prophecies told about him. And he has fulfilled every single one of those prophecies. Upwards of 300 prophecies, mathematically impossible for that to happen. And in that, he is providing everything evidence to the fact that not only is he the son of God, but that he is the son of God with the purpose of God, that he came and died on a cross and came back on the third day, giving his life for us and conquering death so that we can have forgiveness and eternity. And every one of these prophecies give us evidence of the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, there are many ways of proving that Jesus is who he says he is, but I'm going to give you just a few of these prophecies that are seen throughout the Bible, it was prophesied that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem and he fulfilled that. It was prophesied that the Messiah was to be preceded by a messenger and in John the Baptist, he fulfilled that. It was prophesied that he was going to be betrayed and he fulfilled that. It was prophesied that he was going to be sold for 30 pieces of silver and it was fulfilled. It was prophesied that he was going to be born of a virgin and he fulfilled that. 
that he was going to be hated without a cause, that he was going to be silent at his judgment, that he was going to be executed by crucifixion and having his hands and feet pierced, that he was going to have no bones broken during his uh, execution, that he was going to be buried with the rich, that he was going to be raised from the dead, and that he was going to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Whenever we have someone who has prophecies said about him and these prophecies have come true, we have to pay attention. And we must recalculate our lives and figure out whether or not we have to be reverent to him or to the things that we have been reverent about. See, when we are showing reverence in our lives, we are responding in a way that shows honor and that shows value to those things that we are pronouncing. In fact, the, the, the reverence of God is something that we can have in order to connect with His holiness, to connect with His power, to connect with His presence, His goodness, and His forgiveness. What is reverence? We keep using this word. Uh, Pastor Harry uh, shared it with me this way. Reverence is profound honor and respect that is felt deeply internally and demonstrated by our outward disposition. See, I think this is a great definition that teaches us that, that reverence is something that is happening within and that is expressed outwardly. Another way of putting it is like this. Reverence is a posture of honor that reveals what we value because we honor what we value, whatever you value in your life takes precedent over anything. If your kids are the most important thing in your life, then whatever, you, whatever they need is going to take precedent over anything else. If your spouse is what you value and you have reverence toward the most in your life, then you're going to, you're going to recalculate your whole life to make sure that they are taken care of. Or perhaps it's not a people, perhaps it's a philosophical idea or an ideal. Maybe it's even a political position. I know what you're reverent towards by looking at your checkbook, by looking at your calendar, by looking at your social media, and by you looking at your text messages. Because you will invest in what you value and you will honor it. You will make time for the things that you're reverent to. You will sacrifice for the things that you have reverence for. And in this passage, we see the people of Jerusalem showing reverence and giving us clues from the symbolism of the items and the habits that they showed in this moment that allows to recalculate how we can have reverence toward Jesus because he is the son of God. And because being the son of God deserves the reverence in our whole lives. And so we go back to chapter 21 of Matthew. And in verses 7 and 8, it says that they brought a donkey that he had asked for and the donkey's colt to him and threw their garments over the animal and he sat on it. And most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. See, here's the first thing that I think we can, we can learn from this is that reverence to Jesus is to surrender my identity in exchange for his divinity. Why are we talking about identity? Because uh, Jesus is showing us what people are giving him that is connected to their identity. Let's break this down further. Uh, when you see a uh, man in antiquity um, entering a city and they're entering in a horse, this was a custom that was reserved only for a kingly figure or a general that, was, that had victory in a battle. A teacher from Nazareth did not 
deserve in the eyes of people this type of honor. But this is where Jesus turned this upside down, is that he had them look for a donkey, which was a humble type of animal. It was an animal that was available to the masses. It was not an animal that communicated honor and glory. And then on top of that, they picked the colt of this donkey to signify sonship unto the Father. And Jesus entered this town by showing the humility prevailing over the pridefulness of the culture, the poverty of this element prevailing over the affluence of what a king should have done, the meekness that he is showing over the rage and the violence that people were probably wanting him to do because some scholars believe part of this welcome was fed by the fact that people wanted another military leader to deliver them from the Romans. And when he enters, he is entering in this upside down and downside up way that only Jesus could have shown to show us the greatness of his plan. By the way, some of you are needing an answer from Jesus right now about a broken expectation, a broken dream, a broken relationship. And Jesus wants to answer to you when you say yes to him. His answer may be upside down and down, downside up, but when he answers, it's going to be better because he knows his plan for our lives is better than our plans for our lives and so we can surrender to him and let him turn things around for the glory of his name. Amen? Amen. Now, maybe that you're thinking, I am, I am the lowest in my culture, in my city, in my community, in my family. What does Jesus want to do with me? But look at what he used to enter into this city. If he can use a donkey, then he can use us. In fact, I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important, that God can use anything that is humble, anything that is lowly, anything that seemingly doesn't have honor, to bring honor, not to us, but to himself. The honor did not belong to the donkey, even though the donkey is now mentioned in the Bible. The honor belongs to Jesus. Amen. And so he's turning all of this upside down. And then at the same time, people are laying down garments. And, and we have to talk about these garments. We can't gloss over them because they treated their garments in, in somewhat of a different way than we do today. Because when we are needing garments, then the majority of us um, have at least two or three different options to choose from. And if you're like me, you have five different black t-shirts because they're slimming, uh, but you have options. And, but at that time, people did not have options unless they were noble or royal. And so people who had uh, wealth and resources, their robe displayed that about their identity. They would wear multicolored or multifaceted manifold robes if they were royal, if they were kingly, if they were wealthy. And then there was the rest of the people, and the rest of the people only would have the one thing. Now, these people did, did not show much skin at all. 
they did not go around in flip-flops and trunks during the summer. They had to cover everything. And so these robes said something about them. And these robes, if they were dirty, they said something about them as well. Whenever they laid those robes down, they were laying down a big part of who they were in front of Jesus. And there is a threat throughout the Bible of how spiritually we take on the garments that signify our standing before God. And these people, by showing this in this culture, they lay down these garments as a way of saying, you are Savior and my standing before you is laid down in front of you. My identity and everything that we think about ourselves, about ourselves, we are laying down before you. Now, I don't know if you would ever get rid of a garment to honor somebody, but I know that I'm attached to some things in, in my life that way that show a little bit of my identity and what I perceive that to be. When I was in high school, we had this tradition that the last day of high school, uh, we all ditched all our classes. And we showed up to school with water balloons and foam and music, and we made a big mess. And then we chased each other, uh, asking each student to sign our T-shirts from our uniform so that we could keep that as a memory. And so for years, I kept this size M uh, t-shirt in my closet with all these uh, signatures and every once in a while my wife would pull it out and go are you ever going to wear this and I would answer in the same way that most of you dudes middle-aged dudes would answer I'm going to lose weight I'll fit into that (laughs) we can keep that but the main reason why I kept that is because each one of those names had a story about me about a relationship that I had, about a mistake that I made, or about a, uh, something fun that I did. And for years, I didn't want to give that away because it said something about who I am. But then at some point, the Lord took a hold of me. And whatever is on me, I can now lay down before the cross and give it to him. I don't think the people of Jerusalem fully understood what Jesus was about to do, but they laid their garments down in front of him, connecting us even with the way that The Bible shows us this idea in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10. It says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. When we are being covered by his garments, we have gotten rid of ours and we are exchanging that identity with his divinity. And it's important for us to be able to detach from our worldly identity because at some point, part of our identity, if it's tied to what we do, will be removed. Now, don't get me wrong. I am an Enneagram 3. I, am, I like to get things done. I like projects. I like to move forward. I like to build things. But at the same time, at some point, the Lord will say, you are not to do that anymore. In fact, uh, I ran into the statistic uh, a few uh, days ago that uh, men over 65 years old are three times more likely to take their lives than their younger counterparts. And I think it's because we get to that season in life and sometimes purpose is removed. But we don't have to be like that because we are children of God. Because our identity doesn't belong to what we do. It doesn't belong to our title. It doesn't belong to our career. Although those things are important. Please keep doing that. Please stay in the marketplace and preach Jesus there. Please stay in ministry and preach Jesus there. Please be a great dad and a great mom and a great son and whatever your identity is. But at some point that can all go away. And your identity in Jesus can prevail. Amen? We can exchange our identity in the way that Paul speaks 
to us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, my favorite verse in the whole New Testament, where he says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is Paul saying, we don't belong to us anymore. We, we are not us anymore. We are dead on the cross and he takes over and we no longer live, but Jesus lives through us. And so won't we lay our identity down, our garments down in front of him to receive the garment of salvation, amen? We keep reading Matthew chapter 21, verses eight and nine, that they cut branches from the trees and they spread them on the road. And Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. In another translation, it says, Hosanna for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. Here's another thing we can pick up from what these people are doing is that reverence to Jesus is to offer my worship and recognition of his victory. Now, Laying down palms has no meaning to us, but for that culture, that was reserved for somebody who was coming back from a victory in battle. Coins that had the, um, this, the, the profile of Caesar had palms in them to point to his level in society and to give him glory and honor and praise. And this is not something that you gave just some guy that walked into Jerusalem, but people knew that something was going on and they laid lay down these palms in front of him as a way of saying that there's a victory that I don't even think that they understood at the moment what kind of victory he was going to bring. And then they start singing, praise God. They use the word Hosanna. And this word is the same word that was used to say help or deliver me or save me with praise. In fact, I love how it's, I think it's pronounced, in this, let's pretend that it's pronounced this way in the original language, Hoshiana. Hoshiana. It sounds almost like a whisper. And so if a child would run down the streets of Jerusalem and fall down and scrape his knee, he would look at his parents and go, Hoshiana. Or if somebody was uh, in a ship that was uh, capsizing, they would, they would scream out, Hoshiana. Or whenever they were at the temple bringing their sacrifice, they would praise God with the words, Hoshiana, praise you, save us, deliver us. And this word shows us the type of worship that we need to have. And you may be hearing that word and thinking, well, I don't have to worship like other. I'm worshiping in my heart. Worship is for other people. It's just not for me. Now, there's nothing wrong if you don't raise your hands during worship or if you don't sing. But at the same time, I know that you who don't have a physical reaction uh, to Jesus, you know how to worship. And the reason I know this is because I know how y'all reacted when the Hawks beat Kansas just a few weeks ago by one point. Y'all were calling the Hogs in your house. You were celebrating. You were loud. I know how loud you got when you can't beat that. You know what? Out of uh, the Hogs. And, and you were upset at that. I know because I do it in my own life too. I, I, I watched the World Cup a few months ago. The soccer World Cup. Football. Some of you all don't even know that that was going on, but it's one of the most amazing sports spectacles in the world. And I was watching, and um, I was thinking of this church when I was watching the championship, because four years prior, I was due to preach on that Sunday when there was a, the final of the World Cup was happening, and I was so sad that week. 
And at some point, Pastor Harry looked at me and said, why are you so sad? And I said, honestly, it's because the final is this week and I have to preach on Sunday and I'm going to miss it. And he was merciful with me and he said, you just stay home. I'll preach. I'll do the thing. And so four years later, just a few months ago, I decided to just, get, just take Sunday off. So I took Sunday off and I stayed home with my son. And then the most wonderful thing happened, Argentina won. Now, I'm from Venezuela, which is like an eight-hour plane ride from Argentina. We're not even neighbors, but I have some regional allegiances. And so when Argentina won, I was screaming and jumping. I was going, Argentina, Argentina. And my nine-year-old is going, what is he saying? I don't understand what he's saying. I, I don't even know what Argentina is. He was just looking at me, like, but I was worshiping. I know we worship. And we can worship with everything that we have. And if that is challenging you, then I want it to be challenging. Because when Jesus shows up at the second coming, you are not going to go like this. You are going up there saying, Hoshiana, Hoshiana, Jesus deliver me, Jesus take me. And even if I don't worship, somebody else is going to worship, but we are going to worship. In fact, in another telling of this same story in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 39, there was an exchange with the Pharisees because some of them among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. And he said, if they keep quiet, then the stones along the road would burst into cheers. And y'all, I'm not going to let a rock out worship me because I know who Jesus is in my life. Now we keep reading in Matthew 21, verses 10 and 11, that the entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. And people were saying, who is this guy? And the crowds were replying, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. But guess what? They were doing all these things and they were saying all these things and, and, and there's something different happened. Let, let me just point you to what we need to learn. The, the, what we need to learn from this is the reverence is also to follow Jesus unconditionally in obedience to his lordship. But guess what? These people did not do that well. This is one of those times, like most in the Bible, where we see people that are showing us something and they don't follow through. They don't finish it. They don't, they don't close that loop. And, and in this moment, we see people that on this day, they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. But then a few days later, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And they ditch Jesus because they're following him conditionally. And some of us, are still following Jesus only conditionally. And we are putting tests in front of him. If you give me this person that I want to marry, then I will follow you. If you give me this promotion, then I will follow you. If you give me these resources, then I will follow you. And Jesus is saying to you, why do you need to have a condition in following him? And following the Lord of Lords, these people were not unconditionally in obedience to Jesus, but listen to what Matthew 26, 56 says a few chapters later. It points to something we mentioned at the beginning. All of this happening to fulfill the words of the prophets, that even that behavior is something that Jesus knew was going to take place. At that point, it says, all the disciples deserted him and left. I don't know about you, but I've done the exact same thing. 
I have given Jesus my worship. I have screamed, praise you, Hoshiana. I have, I have laid down my head on the ground in tears. And then the next day I've turned away from him and fled. And I know how difficult it is to think, can he receive me again? But the reason that he entered into that city was to get ready for the sacrifice that was about to happen. He was headed toward the cross. He was headed toward an execution that he didn't deserve. And then three days later, he was to, be, uh, come, to come back to life. He was going to conquer death, and he did it three days later. And hundreds of people saw him giving us evidence of that. Even outside of the biblical text, we know that this actually took place the only time in history when that has taken place and he forgave our sins. We are able to return to him even if we have been the kind of people that have laid down our identity and given him our worship and we have uh, given him all glory and praise in church and out of church and then we've made a terrible decision and he says, you can still come back. I am still here for you. Reverence is a posture of honor that reveals what we value most. And reverence dictates so many decisions that we make in our lives. I will finish with this story. A few months ago, we were at a church gathering, and I was meeting this um, man, maybe 20 years older than me, and his name is Nick, and Nick was sharing with me that he's a recovering alcoholic. As I understand it, Nick is a blue-collar worker, and um, he had been struggling with alcoholism for decades, and a few years ago, he started to seek healing from that, and he sought out the help of Jesus, but he also went to Alcoholic Anonymous, and, and so he has done that for the last uh, almost decade, and, and very proudly, he says, I, I am an alcoholic, but I am in, in recovery, and as we were talking about this, uh, a, a young woman in her early 30s, professional, white-collar, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different parts of the city, she, she is coming toward him. And she overhears this and she says, are, are you a recovering alcoholic? And I was, I was aghast. I, I don't ask that question. But then Nick said, yes, I am. And she said, well, I am too. And all of a sudden, these two people were vastly different from one another. Because of what Alcoholics Anonymous has done in their lives, they started to connect. And, and they were sharing with me some of the experiences that, that they were having. And I asked both of them, do you still go to meetings? Do you still have sponsors? And they said, yes, because we need that in our lives. And then I asked them, why are you here? Why are you at church? Why are you at this church in particular? And they didn't say, it's because we love the electric guitars in our music. <laughs> they didn't say that. They didn't say because the walls are painted in the color that we like. They didn't say it's because of the smell of the carpet. They didn't say it's because of the way people dress. They didn't even say it's because of the coffee. And come to find out, people have, they, have, they worship coffee. I confess that in my own life. And so we have people that, that worship, and, and, and they weren't saying any of that. But that's the thing, the things that you and I tend to say is I'm going to go to a church because they have the things that I like. And the moment one of those things is removed, I'm going to get angry and I'm going to leave that church. And, and it's more about what God is doing in your life and where he's calling you to be than anything else. And so these two people taught me at that moment. That the reason that they worship, the reason they have reverence toward Jesus is not because of the mechanics of what we were doing in that church. 
It's because of the saving work that he has done in their lives. And they have laid down their identity. They have offered their worship. They have offered him honor and praise. And they have recalculated everything in their lives to give glory to Jesus because he has saved them. And he has done the same thing with us. And so my question to you is, Are you brave enough to recalculate the things that you are reverent towards? The things that are making you make decisions in your life? Because those things show us what we value, but mostly because reverence in Jesus leads to a life that has been taken by him, our Lord and Savior. And today is the time to return to him Even if you have already praised him and given him worship, today is the time to say, I will recalculate my worship, my life, to head in your direction because you deserve all glory and all honor and all praise. Amen? Amen. I hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message recorded live at Mosaic Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Take a moment right now to subscribe on your favorite platform and get our podcasts pushed right to your device each week. We welcome your comments. If you live in central Arkansas, we hope you'll visit us soon in person. And thanks also for considering our financial needs. To donate, visit mosaicchurch.net. That's mosaicchurch.net. On behalf of all of us at Mosaic, I'm Mark DeMoz. Thanks again for listening.